With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It is the Final Word Cricket Podcast, Season 14, Episode 26. It is. Wow. Adam Collins, Jeff Fleming, we sure make a lot of this show. This is the weekly show. This mm-hmm. is the one where we talk about everything other than the men's ashes, which has been such a focus of our attention. Up at Manchester, now back at London, a couple of days away uh, from the Oval Test, and now we, we can spread our wings a wee bit. It's the only one where we actually count the episode numbers. Our story time has its own episode numbers. The Daily Shows, thank yep. God, don't have episode numbers because that would be terrifying. I think we're around 750 episodes now. But um, these are the ones, the weekly ones, you know, they get counted once a week and there might be the odd interview in there that gets yep. counted, might be a couple a week. Um, and, and so that's 26 since this season started, which was the start of the northern summer in around about the start of April. This will be the last time I have a chance to say to you, come to our live show. We've got Steve mm. in with us on Wednesday night. If you're listening to this might be sold out already if it you're might be this. sold out it's plausible it'll be sold out but there'll be a link in the show notes and you can find out that way mm-hmm. finish with us if you become a patron of ours which we'll talk more about later after nerd pledge you get a 15 quid ticket a half price ticket mm-hmm. um the phoenix in soho is a belter of a venue and we're doing it in association with the lord's tavern some of the the best people in the cricketing community mm-hmm. all we ask of you is to sign up to the tabs mailing list to learn all about what they do if not for that i wouldn't have learned about the edinburgh half marathon which raised i think 6300 um pounds for them earlier mm-hmm. this year a number of people that ran that with me are going up to edinburgh for the final word cricket matches on the 22nd and 23rd of august a number of them will be playing for the final word against oval dream boys oval dream bees on probably whisper it the 22nd of september we've nearly got that finalized really? nearly nearly got that finalized so this hive of activity around what we're doing at the moment and uh, and the uh, and the work we're doing with the tabs around the live show with finney Folds all into that. So jump on, hit the link, buy a ticket, meet us on Wednesday. Go to Patreon, get a half price. Um, I might, I'll see if I can post up a couple of snippets from the live show on there just for the for the patron That's people nice. that might if I if I can figure out a way to do that don't hold me to it this is <laughs> this is a promise with no basis and we're also still working on getting the the ad free feed up on patron that's been delayed because we've just been completely swamped with you know the ashes and yeah and the ashes and also the ashes um, but but that's in in train as well we're still trying to get that going that will hopefully be resolved pretty soon. So admin aside, we've got loads to get through today. We haven't had a chance to have a conversation about the Women's Ashes finale yet, so we'll do that. Uh, the Bangladesh-India Women's Crazy Series and the fallout from that with Harman Prekor, the Indian captain. Uh, a death in Australian cricket during the week. We'll have some nerd pledge. We'll be talking about Ian Botham and poking some fun there in all probability. The county championship had around last week. There's been test matches between Pakistan and Sri Lanka. And last but not least, a conversation with Alice Davis. And Richards, the England all-rounder who made 
100 on debut last year against South Africa, but talking in her capacity as an ambassador mm-hmm. for Alzheimer's Association. Uh, it, it's called the Alzheimer's Society, rather, who are the charitable partner of the Oval Test Match coming up this week. And um, Alice has got an interesting story to tell, and she's a great person. So um, that comes up in segment three. 100 on debut and got left out. Brutal. I know. The brutal selection policy. I know. We if talk you, about that. If I you promise were, you that comes up. If we were adding a clickbait headline, we could be like, brutal move from English selectors. <laughs> Leaves star shocked. You know, what? Act. That could be our show notes. Yeah. Yeah, brutal act. Yeah, ADR takes machine gun to selectors. She, she really doesn't. That's not what happens. <laughs> She's very measured and reasonable about what happened around the Women's Ashes test. But look, the, the way the series finished, we were all um, so plugged into those one-day internationals. Oh, man. I'm pleased that the test was first to give those white ball matches more texture, yeah. which worked. I think tests going first. Some people said to me in my replies, oh, wouldn't it have been great had the test gone last? I don't think so because so much has played out by no. that point. It can mean both sides play for the draw. What we've seen almost every time that's happened is that one team has more of an incentive for a draw in the test than the other. Exactly. Um, and therefore it, it skews the way that it gets played. Yeah. You know, no better example than Meg Lanning in 2019 saying, well, we don't need to win the test. We've already won three ODIs. We're, that, all we need to do is draw it and we're done and that's what they played to do. And the five-day test match meant the result there, right? So, yep. yeah, I, I, I want to carefully balance what I'm saying here. It was the greatest Women's Ashes multi-format point series yet. It had so many twists and turns. The very fact that it was live until the penultimate game, but much as it is with the men, they go to the final match with a chance to level the series. Mm-hmm. Gold. The way England did it and did it in style, even better. Um, they probably should have celebrated on stage together. They probably should have said, this has been a drawn series. I think the, the retention thing, Gideon Haig's been talking about this on mm-hmm. his podcast with, with Lawler last night. I saw a clip go up on Twitter saying that even with men's cricket, retention feels a bit antiquated. Yep. Like the idea of retaining something. How about if neither side wins and it's a drawn series and that be that? Okay, I get why that'll never happen with the men. But I, I reckon it could happen with the women. There are so many games of cricket, seven yeah. of them, that if there's not an outright winner after seven games and three formats, maybe we should just simply... Um, have the trophy shared like happens in in so many sports around the world. I also think that the draw is okay. It's okay to draw. The draw has been part of cricket since the beginning as well, usually just because there wasn't enough time to get a result. So, But running out of opportunity to get a result in terms of the number of matches that you have scheduled to play is the same as running out of time to get a result yeah. within a match. You, you were not able to establish a clear winner. Now, you could tweak the number of points and so on, and I'm not good enough at arithmetic to work out a system where you'd be unlikely to end up with a, a tied um, <laughs> total at this. the end of that. Because <laughs> my system actually would have been a draw anyway this time exactly so yeah so this <laughs> and many people brought that up on twitter with me and that's fine the way i had before five points for the test win 1.3 points for the draw three one three for a one day win two for a t20 win that would have seen both yeah. sides at 10 points however anything that's a draw means that the points are split which means yeah. that then you you still have if you've got odis and t20s you you can change the relative points but you'll still end up you know three and three is six and and three times two is six and exactly. there are still ways to to end up levelling things out. But we are not arithmetical enough to solve this, but somebody just get fractions involved. It, it would, yeah, either get fractions involved, um, which is an easy way of doing it, make yeah. the test Make it as simple as net run rate. 
We want cricket to bring in new people, make it easy to understand. Someone who I respect a great deal uh, made the point to me that when I've been arguing for five points for the test, what I'm missing here is that women, the format they play most is 20 over cricket and saying a test is worth two and a half times a T20 may not be quite right. I so, think, and I think I see that, that is right because a T20 is easier to have an upset in. This is where I would that's, say that, that's the, that the one sweet to the what I said last week is maybe I would go four points for the test win, three points for the one day win, two points for the T20 win and maybe the, the, the test to draw would still be at like, you know, 1.5 or even one to disincentivize playing for the draw. Mm-hmm. Either way, there are ways of doing this. It does not detract at all though for what proved to be an absolute belter of a series and in no small part, in fact, in large part, Natalie Sibber Brunt, one of our all-time favourites on the final word. I feel like we've been talking up Nat and talking about Nat since the day we started making this podcast, one of the best people in cricket too, and that she was able to have such an influence on it made me feel all warm inside. The the statistical run that she's been on purely against Australia is extraordinary. She has 998 runs against Australia in one-day cricket, having batted against them 22 times. Like... People don't do this to Australia, right? She, she, her record is she, basically her record is the best against Australia compared to anybody else. She averages sixty-two with the bat against them wow. across her career. Over her last five innings, however, this is this this was this was the stat that you know you can actually do the brain exploding emoji for when I sort of I, I had a feeling I was like, hang on, this is an incredible streak here when she made that hundred in in the final match, and I thought, well, who's made back to back hundreds against Australia before? Who's made a hundred in consecutive ODI innings? I doubt anybody's done it. So I I went and looked it up, and I was like, well, one person's done it, and that person is Natalie Siverbrun, <laughs> and that was one innings prior to the one that started that streak, as in she made two consecutive hundreds, one non-hundred, and then two more consecutive hundreds. 27 one-day centuries in total have been made against the Australian women's team in the entire time they've been playing, so since 1973, when Enid Bakewell made the first one against yep. Australia. I imagine in that World Cup, it, it might, was, have, it might was, have been. Yeah, the, the opening final. round, wasn't it? There was, no. one, there was one in the final and... Oh, sorry, right. I, knew, I know about the, the one game. in the final. I wasn't sure about the one before then. Because okay. she made one on debut as well, Enid right. Bakewell, so that must have been the first one-day turn against Australia. Um, so... Uh, a few players have made two, you know, um, Chamari Adepatu and, and uh, Amy Satterthwaite and a couple of others. A couple. Um, yeah, and Sarah Taylor uh, or Claire Taylor's got a couple as well, I think. So, but one player's got three or had three uh, before Nat Siverbrunt in, in the last few weeks and that was Susie Bates okay. and that was it. Nat Siverbrunt has four. So more than everybody else. So out of the 27, she's made four of them, but she's made four of them in her last five innings against (laughs) Australia. Um, She's averaging 264 in her last five innings. Uh, She's been not out uh, in three of those hundreds. Three of them were well over a runner ball. The one hundred that was under a runner ball is the only one that's come in a winning effort. So Australia have kept beating England despite these remarkable innings from her. So she was going at a strike rate of 86 uh, in the one at Taunton and that was the winning hundred. It levels up the series. It gives England something to cheer about. Um, And, you know, obviously people who hate draws are now extremely annoyed. That's number wang. Uh, Yeah, no, I think that... um to come back on that that point from before, that, that England should take an enormous a lot an enormous amount from this. They they were a side um, twelve months ago who were beaten convincingly by India, albeit a depleted India, an Indi- a depleted rather England. a depleted yeah. England, I should say, missing Heather Knight, missing Nat Siverbrunt, 
Amy Jones was leading that team. They failed to make the, the gold medal game of yep. the Commonwealth Games at home. They got bounced out of the bronze medal game for that matter. So they needed to regroup and mm. find a different way. And I'm not surprised that it's been through Sibber Brunt, who was so upbeat before this series about her generation that have come through. She's 30 now, right? I think Heather Knight might be one year older than her. There's a group of them who've been together for ages. It was a six-year anniversary um, of the Women's World Cup win at Lord's I think yesterday was the sixth anniversary of it, something like that. Mm -hmm. And you go through the team sheet. There aren't that many who are left. There's like four or five of them, and they are the nucleus of this team. Mm. Effectively, the, the leadership axis of Knight and Siver Brunt. Uh, right, Danny Wyatt. That. Danny mm. Wyatt, Tammy Beaumont. Or mm. Wyatt didn't play in that final. She was a right. squad member, but, you know, your point stands. Tammy Beaumont, of course, um, who, who was the was the player of that tournament. But nevertheless, the they are desperate to have success against Australia, and this constitutes something verging on that. And, look, they probably won't beat Australia in Australia, but they'll have belief mm. that they had an eight-all draw against them in 2017, which was a come-from-behind effort winning the T20 series. They've now won two white ball series against Australia. That will give them enormous confidence going into next multilateral tournament, the next mm -hmm. time they come up against each other in Australia. It's good for global cricket that Australia's dominance is now being kept in check somewhat by England. Because yeah. uh, if not for that, then it was... Unfortunately, it was getting a little bit boring. We, 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 you know, in order for Australia's success to be completely meaningful, mm. it needs to be against the side, and it's going to be England in the short term who can duke it out with them. Yeah, and and also, I mean, it, it's it's Australia doing kind of the ultimate heel thing as well, like the Sputnik Monroe mm. kind of thing, mm. because they're you can't quite beat them. Like you almost, yep, you won the T20 series, you won the ODI series, but they still managed to just scrape away um, enough points. Um, they still managed to prevail in the test match and they end up um, hanging onto the trophy at the end. You know, it, it's it's an interesting one. I don't mind the retaining thing. I think if your team has the trophy, the other team has to take it off them and, you know, that's that's the fundament of how it works. Yeah, I, with with so many games, there's probably a better way to do it. So the probability of a draw is, is, is lowered, but I think we've gone over that enough for one women's Ashes series. Yes. Now, the other series that was going on, the well, there was a T20 and an ODR series between Bangladesh and India's women. Yeah. This is an interesting rivalry because, of course, Bangladesh knocked them off in the Asia Cup final in 2018. They're very much a mismatch, you know, in terms of the amount of funding and support and so on that the Bangladesh women's team gets. Um, very old school conditions in Bangladesh, lots of, lots of spin, lots of low scores, which is when that Bangladesh side can start to compete once they can squeeze the scores down, I suppose. So they lose the first two T20s, they win the third one, which is a, a, an important result for them, keep India to 102 and chase it. First ODI, they bowl out India for 113, defending 152. India thrashed them in the second game, so it's sort of back to form. And then the third match, this, this stands out because Bangladesh made 225. That's the second highest score they've ever made in women's one-day cricket. You know, they're much mm. more a bowling side than a, than a batting side. Significant there. And then India are chasing it. Samriti Mandana makes 59. Harleen DL makes 77. She gets run out. Wickets start to fall. India are six down with nine runs to get, needing 225. Wicket at 216. Wicket at 217. Another wicket at 217. And then with scores level, Meghna Singh is caught behind. Marufa Akhtar, the seamer who takes the wicket, gets the outside edge. So they tie the match 
and they tie the series because under the playing conditions they're supposed to have a super over, but they've run out of time on the day. The umpire says not enough time left to uh, play the super over. With bad light, I assume, being uh, a factor. If, if, whether it was light or whether they were just past the end of the, the allotted time for the match Just to take judging place. by the live stream I caught the end of, it, it must pretty have been dark. light. Yeah. 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 So they don't play the super over. They, they have a tied series and India are not happy at all. Well, there are so many bits to this, right? So let's start at the top. Harman Prekor, when she was dismissed, uh, and I know it was given as caught at slip, which if she hit it, it was clearly caught at slip. Mm-hmm. If she didn't, it was plumb leg before. Either way, she was out, right? So let's listen. Yeah, we've, so we've had a look at the replays on this, and it looks pretty out. Either way, she's out. So she thought she was given LBW and was angry at that, thinking maybe thinking it was sliding down leg. I don't know. No. But she was hit on the full yeah, by it's a, out. a spinner looking towards the stuffs. Whether or not no it's DRS. Out, she thinks it's LBW. There's no DRS. It, um, she doesn't realise it's given as a catch, and then she cracks the shits deluxe. Smacks the stumps over. With her bat. Isn't the first person to do that. Uh, but isn't it funny that we can rattle off the people who've done it? Mm. You know, we all, Rodney we, Hogg. We all, know, we all know the cricketers in the men's game who've been so angry as to kick or whack the stumps over with their bat or with their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason for that. It's because it's appalling behaviour and it's inexcusable. But, you know, we talk about spirit of cricket when, <laughs> when referring to the technicalities of a ball touching the turf and that kind of thing. The spirit of cricket is designed, the preamble to the... Um, the laws of the game has been written, and this was a Colin Cowdery thing before he passed away, specifically about respecting umpires. Mm-hmm. The, you know, 90% of the spirit of cricket preamble deals with respecting umpires and, and, and respecting the game. And taking it's, the rough with the smooth. Taking the rough with the smooth. And, you know, it, it, that's the energy of the spirit of cricket if you want to take it literally to what's written down. Mm-hmm. This is completely in contravention of that. I cannot believe she wasn't charged with bringing the game into disrepute for that alone. And then is what she said after play. Mm. Then there's the, 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 the way in which she brought um, the umpire's integrity into question repeatedly. There was the commentary around the BCB not treating the High Commissioner suitably. Are you serious? You know, there are, there are so many pieces to this and each of them are dreadful. It was laughing at the Pakistani, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, sorry, players when they were leaving the stage, when they formed something of a protest, saying to the Bangladeshi captain, Nigar Sultana, that, that, she, uh, that, that she shouldn't be there receiving the praise and, and the presentation. It should be the umpires, not her, because the umpires had them in a position mm. to tie that game. There are so many disgraceful bits of behaviour in all of that. And what was the penalty? 75%, 75% of, of the a match, match fee. Across two different charges, one for the stumps, one for the comments where she said the umpiring was pathetic. I mean, the sad part in this is that it detracts from Bangladesh having this moment where where they, you know, they get they have something to celebrate. They're a but the Bangladesh women's team doesn't get a lot to celebrate and they had something, they had a moment, they've achieved something um, in front of their home crowds. They're, they're, they're feeling like people are going to start paying attention to their team and, I don't know, maybe maybe this helps in a way. Maybe it, 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 uh, it helps draw attention but it's not in a good way. I hope so. Uh, Nigar Sultana Jotti, as she's known, is sort of around the circuit. She spoke so well after the game to Mohamed Issam. I'm not sure if it was a press conference or whether Issam, who we've had on the show a number of times, sort of the, um, the narrator of Bangladeshi cricket, Mm-hmm. had interviewed her separately but either way you know that idea that we've been dying to get this kind of attention and we've gotten it for what we've done on the field mm. um, drawing level with India it's a shame that a lot of people would first be coming into contact with this team on the back of what Harman Preet's done yeah you know what, what have you got to do to be charged with bringing a game into disrepute I mean what does it take it, you know it, it, you can be very very cynical about this and I'm going to try and tread the line here but who else 
no, I'm not even going to bother because it'll just make people angry. But are we serious? We all know what's really happened here, don't we? Who, like we all really know what's happened. Would, would, would other players have got away with this? Of course is not. What, is what you're talking about. Of course about. not. And, and I'm going to say as well, Samriti Mandana, who's usually a very level-headed, good citizen, doubles down on this in the press conference after the because game. Because they wanted to win, right? Why did she do it? Because they wanted to win. Well, this is <laughs> – so here, here's, yeah. here's a line. Um, uh, okay, this happened, says Mandana, because Harman Preet, uh, the quote is, she was given out and she felt that she wasn't out, so that's why that happened. Yeah, no shit. Who Who is given out and thinks that they're out? Nobody thinks that they're out when they're but out. That's not, out. that's not a permission structure for doesn't belting stumps over yeah. and for talking to and about the umpires this way and for disrespecting the Bangladeshi captain this way because she, she was pissed off at getting out. Like, you know, no one – gets away with that. So Mandana goes on to say, uh, when you really want that W on the board for India, these things happen. No, they don't. Um, they only happen if you allow them to happen. And then she says this, we kind of expected a little better level of umpiring in terms of some decisions because it was very evident when there was not even a second thought given when the ball was hitting the pad when our batters are batting. And then she goes on to say, next time, huh. hopefully we have neutral umpires. Well, so she, she should go as well. So she's, she's, She should go as well. She should also be charged uh, for those comments. She's completely doubled down on saying that the basically, that the, well, that the umpires are corrupt and that they've thrown a game uh, because they're Bangladeshi umpires. Now, it's a disgrace. I mean, it, it, it is actually really, really grim. So Tanvir Ahmed is the umpire who gave the Harman Prit decision and one of the other um, contentious ones, I think it was the, the final wicket to fall. He's an experienced umpire. He's uh, umpired a bunch of uh, T20 internationals and ODIs, um, has been around the circuit. You're not a professional umpire if like who is there, who's willing to throw games for a team if you do that your career ends if you do that it gets found out very quickly it's very evident if you're consistently giving wrong decisions in favor of one team or another this is not the bad old days of when um, umpires were appointed by the home board and i acknowledge there weren't neutral umpires in this fine but, but there there un- haven't been neutral umpires in tests since COVID started. No, there, I understand. There's been zooming out from this. I, I get that neutral umpires are something that, that people well, that was necessary. Yeah, you know, Harsha Bogle speaks really yeah. well around this. The, <laughs> at the time when neutral umpires were brought in, there were every time a side went away from home, India in ninety one, ninety two, in Australia were mortified at the way they were treated by the Australian umpires. Sure, Australia when they went to India and Pakistan through the eighties and nineties, you'd always hear the same consistent patter about home umpires. That completely changed when the ICC took control of the operation, when it wasn't about home boards appointing umpires. This is an antiquated idea that mm-hmm. we rock up in a country and we're, and we're triggered because the other country is cheating. No one says that anymore because that simply does not happen. Yeah, it, it is not true when you've got professional umpires who are there to do a job and they want to get their stats as correct as possible so that they get promoted. Exactly. So that, so that their career advances. You don't get in there so that you can try to help your team win a game or not win a game. That's not your team anyway. You're an umpire for yes. a reason. You've got to you know, trust the professional integrity of these these umpires who do a bloody tough job, as it is, not needing to be heavied by Harman Preet, who is clearly, you know, clearly got a, a, a short fuse. We've seen her crack the shits about any number mm. of things before. And I admire passionate cricketers. You know, we all do. We all um, want to see players out there becoming, um, expressing themselves as they see fit. But there is, you know, there is a, 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 a line that is specified in any playing condition that you want to put a finger at mm-hmm. about the way you need to treat officials. Yep. And, the, you know, that disrespect of having the, the Bangladesh players come up on stage to sledge um, Jyoti and then for them to go, you know what? We're not going to take this and walk off the stage and then sneer at them when they're when they're walking back to the dressing room. Hmm. The bit about the high commissioner, I mean, this is just ridiculous. 
about I couldn't even understand what she was saying about the High Commissioner yeah. just fuming with rage and maybe she does feel like she's above the game that she can do whatever she wants that she is now too big to fail and, and maybe that's been validated by the fact that the ICC only saw fit to, to levy her a 75% match fee mm. fine if, if they were fair income she would have been suspended for a lengthy stretch of time yep. to make a point to every other captain around the world is not acceptable and, and imagine if you know Stokes or Cummins gets up after one of those Ashes tests and says oh the umpires are corrupt um, we need to change <laughs> the umpires for the next test match because they're giving every decision out against us or if Ben Stokes um, got the bat and whacked the stumps over yeah I mean, it would be a, an international incident. Of course it would, and um, rightly so. And, yeah, you know, the, nobody's paying a great deal of attention to this and, and very little will happen. So that's that's the situation as it is. Um, who knows if there'll be any follow-up from that. But, yeah, I was the bit I was most surprised about was Mandana getting involved with time to take a breath, you know, with time to think about what was happening next and to still back up the absurdity and, and try to support her captain there. There was a death in Australian cricket during the week. Brian Tabor passed away. The great New South Wales wicketkeeper. He was in the team of the century for New South Wales. Back when glovemen were glovemen, Jeff. When yes. What you did with the bat didn't matter an awful lot. Played 16 test matches. Batted 11 that. if you want, as long as you're good with the gloves. Yeah, and, and played 16 test matches You know, in that era between Wally Grout and Rod Marsh. He, he, he and Barry Jarman are in the middle of that. He played in England, played in that 4-0 loss in South Africa, which is when they moved on to Rod Marsh, but was Wally, always seen... Wally Grouse. Yes. Uh, as he's known yes. on the final word. And, and yeah, and that Jarman bit where Jarman ended up captaining he did. as well. He did, um, yeah. So he was on that, that anomalous sort of keeper captains list that, that we had. We had the Tim Payne, Barry Jarman keeper captain bit and then we did the Pat Cummins, Ray Lindwall fast bowler captain bit. Yeah, and, um, and for Tabor's party, he never was able to really bed down a spot in the Aussie team but had a, um, he left a massive legacy on Australian cricket both as coach and selector at New South Wales and the coach of the Aussie 19. So a lot of the guys who are kind of in their 40s and 50s now, who formed the guts of the golden generation of Australian cricket, played yep. when Brian Tabor was the manager of the 19s, and the medal that's given out well before he passed away, the medal given out to the player of the under-19s tournament, played between the states each year, is known as the Brian Tabor medal. So 16 test matches between 1966 and 1970, the greatest gloveman New South Wales ever produced, mm. uh, Vale, Brian Tabor. And there was a, a big tribute from uh, Darren Berry as well, yep. who's had a very busy week on social yes, media. Yes. Darren Berry, but uh, some, <laughs> some of it a bit more um, positive than others and his his memories of Brian Tabor and what he did for a, a new generation of wicket keepers coming through was probably on the better end of his social media output. Uh, Jeff, before we go to our first break today, we'll have time just for a tiny and don't wake up my daughter little bit of... Nerd pledge. <laughs> nerd pledge. Uh, yeah, Peggy's asleep upstairs, Peggy Antonio. So let's not wake her up with a nerd pledge. Yell. Nerd pledge is a game that we play with all the nice people who listen to this show who decide to help support it. They go to Patreon. They send us a donation, a contribution, and that amount is a number that relates to cricket in some way. For instance, Jeremy Nash has sent through pound thirty-five pence. So one thirty-five is the number. It means something. We have to work out what it means. Okay, so Jeremy sent a clue to you, Jeff. In a match featuring a noteworthy debut, a famous return and the run-out of a final word fave, this contribution by my boyhood hero was the most significant. It all ties together, we're talking about. Wicket Keepers, we interviewed Dennis Amos on the show a few months ago. We this did. is a match that we spoke about with Dennis Amos ah. because Dennis Amos wasn't in it. 
He was in the previous one, but he wasn't in this one. Third test of the 1977 Ashes right. at Trent Bridge. Yeah. I suspect you know where I'm I going do. with this. <laughs> the first test is drawn. The second one, England win. Um, they secure the Ashes by winning the third test. Australia start all right. Rick McCosker, 51. Ian Davis, 33 at the top of the order. On debut is a fellow who will come up a bit later in the show, Ian Botham. He gets Greg Chappell out. He gets he gets uh, he, he gets Doug Walters out. He gets Rod Marsh out. He was a wicketkeeper too. En route to five wickets on debut. Kerry O'Keefe makes forty eight not out. Gets them up to two hundred and forty three. Very England Test cricket score, isn't it? Two hundred and forty three. Yeah, yeah. Batten, yeah. Batten first two forty three. Second team makes two twenty five. It's, it's a comfortable score. Mm. Two forty three all out is the kind of score that that strikes you as like that. That's the kind of day of cricket I would have loved to have been at. <laughs> Um, the famous return, Jeff Boycott, is coming back into the team after three years sulking and he replaces Dennis no, Amos. No, they didn't make me captain. Didn't make me captain. Didn't make me captain. Oh. Don't want to face Michael Holding. Oh, sorry. Uh. Didn't make me captain. Well, he did come back and face Jeff Thompson of and Lenny Pascoe. Of course he did. I, mean, I think there was, at the time there the was suggestion a, was that hmm. there was a, a certain reluctance to, you know, you can read about this in John Hotton's book. You can. So he comes back and he makes a boycott-style 100. He makes 107 from 315 balls. Now, I should have mentioned earlier that in the Bangladesh game when they made their second-highest score, they also had the first century ever made by a Bangladesh woman they did. in ODI cricket, which was also 107. So there's a bit of a 107 theme the way that things went today. So Fagana Hoek made... Bangladesh's first 100, um, which is a nice moment for her as well. Probably doesn't necessarily want to be twinned with Jeff Boycott and his 107, but I'll, I'll leave that up to her to decide. On the way to the 107 is the famous run out of Derek Randall. There's the final word, fave, centenary test, say no more. Um, Derek Randall uh, gives himself up um, in order to let Boycott keep batting. That's the piece of commentary with Arlett describing yes. it as a tragedy. a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And Richie Benno uh, saying some years later, nothing that happens on a cricket field is... Whisper it. Benno used to describe things as tragedy as well. Did he? Oh. Yeah. Whisper it. We found that during calling the shots, Daniel okay. and I doing research. A couple of times Benno slipped into that. But, okay. but we won't go into, you know, we, right. won't, we won't throw him under the bus. Well, the match report says this. In the end, Randall sacrificed his wicket to save Boycott, who stood dejected, covering his face with his hands. Boycott freely admitted that he was to blame and he continued to defend with the utmost resolution. So it's a little apologia there. But around that dismissal, Thompson and Lenny Pascoe are doing yep. the damage. They take a couple of wickets each. So England are five for 82 when Boycott is joined by Alan Knott. And who better to have as a childhood hero if you were growing up at the time than the man with the gloves, beautiful hands, and could also make runs. Alan Knott was a very decent operator with the bat. So uh, the report says, Knott rose to the occasion in his own impudent style. So he's, he's pretty much matched Boycott in the 80s by stumps, um, despite coming out you know, boycott's opening and, and he's coming out at number seven. Beats him to 100, goes under the highest score by an England wicketkeeper, helps put on 215 before Thompson gets boycott out. Uh, they add another 29 before Alan Knott gets out. So that gets England to 364. And then Rick McCosker goes full boycott, hoke, and makes 107. Everybody's making hundreds and sevens today. Kerry O'Keefe, 21, not out. It's batting well in this test. Mike Hendrick goes through them this time, takes five for, sort of works through them for 309, so they need 189 to win. Brearley gets out. They promote Alan Knott up the order to go and pinch hit. Doesn't work. He gets out. Tony Gregg gets out. But boycott 
and Derek Randall finish it off together. They end up not out at the end and uh, after not is out, they're not out, if that makes sense. And, and so they've, they've made up. Match report says boycott batted across all five days. I'm finding more of these players. So if you a little while ago we were thinking that there were only a couple, but there must cool. be more. Kawaja, didn't we? Yeah, then but we this is a... in an Ashes test, so yeah. it couldn't have couldn't have been with the Ashes filter on. Anyway, Did we have a Stan McCabe in there. Century we didn't ball? have a Stan McCabe. We had a Kim Hughes in the centenary test in, in 1980. 1980. That's right. Um, but there, but but I've seen a couple of other instances when reading okay. in the last couple of weeks. So you know. Who knows? I haven't gone and verified that, but that's what it says. And it also says this, which I enjoyed. Um, these are the, the wisdom reports of the time. Moreover, the large crowds were perfectly behaved, a pleasant contrast to the rowdyism and noise which had so often prevailed <laughs> in recent years at some test matches. Well, they wouldn't have liked being at Lords this year. They wouldn't they? have liked being at any Or they of the probably test would have matches. joined in, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe so. They wouldn't have liked them. Yeah, it's become increasingly a part of the, the test experience in England. Is, it's very rowdy, but that's okay with me. So 135, that's the score that Alan Knott made to save the day in the third test. So that means England have gone 2-0 up in the series after three tests, which would mean they would have retained the Ashes if they had them. Yes. But they didn't have them? No, because they played the consecutive series in 75 and then again in 77 without going to Australia because of the the World Cup of 75. So Australia stuck around. And just played an ash. So they played, but they would have been due for an ashes. Then. Well, they played in anyway. seventy two. So seventy two, then seventy five when the World Cup was on. They stuck around in seventy seven. So they were already a bit off. So they went a year early. Yeah, well, or they went a year late, depending on how you want to. Because seventy two was the previous series before seventy five. So in theory, it would have been seventy six. Right. They were already there in seventy five. So, so they, they went in seventy seven instead and got back on on cycle after that. Oh, they get back on the odd years. Back on the odd years after that. It, there, there are there are quirks like that through. If you go through the Ashes history, it's not always on the four year. Well, no, I know. It's 13, 13, 14, 15. Oh, that, that's and, a good example of that. Know. But there's one in the mm, – gosh, this will test me. There was one where – so 1956 is followed by 1961. Yeah. So there, there were yes. instances where there, we've had odd years and it's not always been four. But we do get back on four-year cycles after 77. But, yeah, as you say, it would have required Australia winning the fourth and the fifth. Yeah. And they don't. England win the series 3-0. And there's the non-Ashes in 1980. As which well, is which is three tests, which is post Packer. But yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. confusing. <laughs> it's confusing. Very confusing. Um, it, it, in that, you may be interested to know uh, Steve Smith has passed Alan Border's total of Ashes runs, but not his runs against England. Ah, uh, yes. Alan Border played about five test matches, I reckon, that yeah. were not Ashes tests. Centenary tests of Bicentenary. Bicentenary test. So probably six. Yeah. He wouldn't have played in 77. He wouldn't have had the boo by then, but he would have played one centenary test, a bicentenary test. A few yeah. test matches. Five. It doesn't matter. Patreon.com forward slash the final word if you like what we do. If you want to support the myriad podcasts that we're making at the moment, they will continue. Maybe you found us during the, the Ashes series and you're kind of thinking about whether you'll keep hanging out with us later. If you become a member of our Patreon page, that also gets you access to Discord. Discord is where all the action happens with mm-hmm. our wonderful Final Word community. We had another meetup on Saturday night at a pub in Sale that Guy Hornsby organised, which was bloody lovely. So, And we'll keep doing that. We've got another one at the Oval this week, which has... Nothing to do with you and me. That's all organised by our our community, and mm-hmm. we just slip in and out as we as we can. And also the cricket games in Edinburgh that I mentioned before. There's still room if you really want to play in Edinburgh on the 22nd or 23rd and go to the Fringe Festival between the 21st and the 24th. Do let me know as soon as you can. Let's take a break. After that, what's going on in England? 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word. It's The Final Word. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Lots and lots of England stuff. And as we sort of set up in the intro, Ian Botham talking about the ICEC report was always going to be entertaining but like it's obviously a very serious topic as we learnt with well not learnt we read it ourselves but talking to Yasrana a couple of weeks ago well we read more of the report than Ian Botham has but that's not a high bar put it put it that way yeah <laughs> um yeah serious topic from not a serious person yeah Barney Rhino was writing about this he was sitting next to me in the in the press box at Old Trafford sort of working out how to write this piece for for a couple of days and I mean, it, it's complete, completely unsurprising but also extraordinary in a way, bearing in mind that Ian Botham is the chair of a county cricket club. He's he's notionally the senior person at Durham. Oh, yeah. They are an important club in county cricket. And his take on it was, well, uh, well, I'm not racist and so if anybody is racist, that's their problem and also I don't think many people really are and so cricket doesn't have a problem and I think this report's rubbish and I think it's so rubbish that I didn't read it. And then, oh, well, no, no, I, I, read well, I, I read bits of it and then I, then threw, I threw it, it on the floor. Then I threw it on the floor. So that's a waste of money. Nonsense were the other quotes yeah. there. And then, yeah. and then basically accused everybody in the report of lying. So there are, I think, 4,000 respondents yep. to this report. So 4,000 respondents to the report have all got together and decided to lie about it in order to piss off one really rich guy who has everything that he wants in the world. And he's mad that they've reported that they've had negative experiences in cricket because he can't believe that would be true because his life has been one of having every door open for him wherever he's gone. Yeah, it's unsurprising that Ian Botham would advance something constituting the big lie given uh, his uh, political persuasion and Trumpian political persuasion uh, over, well, his whole life really, but he's in the House of Lords, of course, these days to bolster that point. Totally. He's a a legislator, not that he actually shows up. So so his voting record, I think he showed up for the first three months and hasn't been since. His register of interests is... is, um, entertaining if you want to but have it, a browse through that. There's a genuine cricket thing here though, right? So he's the chair of Durham. If he were the chair of anywhere else and made yep. these comments, he'd be he it'd be well, it'd be laughable because no other chair would do that. It'd be newsworthy, it'd like, be newsworthy. No one else is reporting on it'd it. It'd be laughable, it'd be newsworthy, it would come with ramifications. There'd be consequences for being so blase yep. about this. Of course there won't be consequences because there are rules for some and there are rules for others. And Ian Botham's one of the greatest cricketers to ever step through the gate and as a consequence he can get away with whatever he wants. Yeah. That, that's the guts of it. And if you're a good enough player in England or anywhere, but in this context, you are protected. You are protected from having to engage on topics like this and mm. and both of them shows yet again, you said it best, not a serious person. Particularly if you're if you're the person who captured the imagination of a lot of young men who then become old men who are in charge of things, then you'll get looked after. I mean, the fact that someone who, because they were good at cricket, got made a legislator in this place. I mean, yeah, the honour system in the House of Lords is an absolute broken joke sure. through and through, as we see every single time some disgraced outgoing politician names 53 of their closest mates and, and, and gives them rewards for the rest of their lives. But 
you know, why why was Anne Botham rocking up for three months voting on like the Northern Ireland abortion bills and and things about trout fisheries or whatever? You know, he, he's you can go and read his voting record on the website. It's quite interesting. He showed up and voted on like everything for the first couple of months, and then apparently got bored and hasn't been since, um, which which is true to form. But you know, it, it'd be it's good to get Lord Botham's uh, you know thoughts on whether you should be able to get an abortion or not. Yeah, well, he, he, this is his life, isn't it? He's been able to do whatever he wants um, and say whatever he wants. He's too big to fail. Kind of like what we were saying with Harman Preet earlier, although very different parts of their cricketing mm-hmm. life cycle. But in the same way that Harman Preet has gotten away with doing whatever she wants, I mean, not 75% of her match fee, seriously. So it applies here. You know, if you're a chair, at that level, you have real power over the way, as Barney put it, public money is spent that's mm-hmm. invested in the game and subsequently distributed. He's not some sort of uh, tokenistic figurehead that, that just has this title to raise money or to help Durham along in their um, in their day-to-day activities. Mm. He's got actual power. And I'm sure the ECB cringed their way through that interview as we all did when it was reported before the previous test match that was played up at Manchester. But um, yeah, what can you say? It's exactly as you'd expect from someone who's who, who who would have um, who would have aligned himself a certain way and and you know I, I, I respect people who have um, uh, there are a plurality of views around where where the game's at in England and I think that we should be careful sometimes to get too myopic about the way that we see this it's important that but you got to you got to have good faith to start with here mm-hmm. you know you got to be you got to be a good faith actor. And you've got to be seeing this with eyes wide open yep. and want to see the game improve on this front. If your starting point is simply that it's all, what did he say? It's a total waste of money and it's nonsense. Then you're yep. not. Then your criticism of the report does not carry water. And if you're, if you're, uh, the place your criticism comes from is, I am literally one of the most privileged people in the entire country, and I don't think there's a problem because I haven't seen it. Then well, you are, you are. A moron, like categorically, it is. It is so incredibly how many people, stupid. How many people have said to Ian Botham over the years, "Ah, oh, sorry, Both, you're wrong." Yeah, and this applies to others. And it's not just a cricket problem; it's a problem in society. People who reach a certain point in their athletic pursuit that people are just too. They're just so mm. reluctant to tell them uh, and to challenge them and to tell them to wind their head in um, or wind their neck in rather. It doesn't happen as often mm. as it would be if you or I would uh, go out and say something like that. We would quite rightly have the shit kicked out of us mm. um, in the court of public opinion or whatever. But, you know, it's Ian Botham. So those closest to him would just kept telling him to keep on keeping on. I remember when he took five for against Australia on debut. Yeah. Good times, good times. Yeah. Well, county cricket was happening. Durham were playing. Everybody was playing. There was a full round of Division 1. Um, while we were up in Old Trafford getting rained on, people were playing cricket somewhere else. They were. Um, I'll just do the quick rap, shall I? Mm-hmm. Division 1 first. In West uh, Philadelphia, yeah. born and raised. In the playground is where I spent most of my days. Uh, Somerset defeated Northampton. They kind of stay mid-table um, by nine wickets at Northampton. Matt Henry, eight wickets for the match. Craig Overton, seven. Pretty useful attack for Somerset, having won the, uh, mm-hmm. the T20 blast a couple of weeks ago. This is the summer of Matt Henry in many ways. Yep. It's it's, it's, the, it's the hot Matt Henry summer. Mm, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, Matt Henry getting his question on the Labuschagne clip, um, it yeah. got a little bit of traction. It so. did. I felt sorry for the other Matt Henry. He was, I think he might he have got doing a bit his nervous. best. He might have got a bit nervous, and that's okay. That's fine. We've all been there in press conferences when someone comes back at you. But I don't think the question he was putting was ridiculous. It no. was more like, like if you get a full day in and there's a freak, he said the word freak. I think what he meant by that is if the weather is freakishly good. Yes. And you're playing 98 overs, and Australia suddenly bounces yep. out to is a there a way to try to is win? Is there a way to try and win? Okay. Which there was, because if you've got you you know you, you're five down, but you've got three established batters to come. Like could you could you could get a lead. You could get you yeah. could get 180 in front, and we've seen it happen before. Sure, not sure. not a crazy thing to ask. Not a crazy thing to ask. Uh, so, Essex, so it is double hot Matt Henry summer. <laughs> Essex uh, just 14 points behind Surrey now after 10 rounds. So they defeated Kent by seven wickets. Chelmsford Critchley, our boy, got another hundred. Then he got a golden duck. Oh boy, a precious boy. <laughs> uh, Alistair Cook made 87. Uh, they were only chasing 32 or 33 or something like that. Essex and lost three wickets in like this mad cap chase because they were trying to get it completed before the rain fell but they did so so they take full points and uh, are right up there with Surrey who were clinical in their eight wicket win in the London derby over Middlesex at Lords to stay on top Surrey made 433 they always make 433 Jamie Smith 138 he's not far away from an England call up Rory Burns 79 after making a pair last week against Knots in the game I was doing Tom Helm took a six for but then Surrey just go to work you know in the first innings they bowl out Middlesex for 238 Abbott Overton and Laws, the other Overton, Jamie, all three for. Then they make him follow on and it's Abbott, four yeah. more. Overton, Tom Laws, Dan Worrell take two for each. Like they're just too deep. They're just too stretched. Anyone playing Surrey is going to find it hard this year and they chase the 78. They needed it very quickly. Um, Hampshire, an important 116-run win over Knotts to stay within touching distance of, uh, of the top two. And they did so after being all out for 166 on, on the opening day at, at Trent Bridge. So they fought back well. Ian Holland took four for, then he made 100. Ian Holland, our, the, 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 the new, the, the frontier, the America's greatest. Yeah, Ameri- America's greatest, the man who was um, cricket idol. Remember yeah. he was the... I will never forget. It was called Cricket Superstar, I think. He got so good. how, why is he not playing Major League Cricket right now? Surely he's got to be the, the, you know, the big... In inverted commas, homegrown. Yeah. Oh, I know why. It'll be because his contract with Hampshire. Yeah. It'll be the same reason why the Dutch players couldn't play in the in the world mm. um, in the world qualifier. Sure. But yeah. wouldn't it be great if he was suiting up for the unicorns? <laughs> are they our team, or no? We're Washington Freedom, aren't we? Because that's what. Well, Cam Ponsonby's Cam Washington is. Freedom. So by extension, we're Washington Freedom. I, f- I feel more of, a, of an affinity with San Francisco and <laughs> unicorns. I mean, <laughs> we, that's we, as camp as you can get. That's we, where I want to be. We might do an update next week with Cam on the MLC and how it's going. We did get some. Um, uh, we did get some tweets, didn't we? That the free hits and the no balls are being sponsored by a betting company. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's a beautiful marriage of ideas. That they're like, yeah, every time there's an overstep, um, we're then going to put a betting company's logo up on the screen because um, so, you really want those things close together. There is no reason that stepping over the front line and betting should not go together. Uh, the only draw in Division 1 was between Lanks and Warwickshire at Edgbaston. Ooh, they've got to do something about draws. You can't have draws anymore. <laughs> it was got a, each county game has to go for nine days. And it was a rainy draw as well. Rainy draw. Warwickshire have kind of gone from second to fourth in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. They did win last week, but just the way the cookies crumbled. Balderson, good young player for Lanks, mate, 116, not out. 
Uh, and yes, the, the rainy pain for Warwickshire not being able to get the job done there. So Surrey are leading their 161, Essex 147, Hampshire 132. Down in the drop zone, Kent uh, are on 76, Middlesex are on 65. They should have kept Darren Stevens. They should have possibly kept Darren Stevens. Division two, uh, five teams are within 22 points for second spot, so the other promotion slot. So Durham will get promoted, barring something wild. And four are within 11 points. So there's quite a lot there. And mm. two of those sides are... Um, Leicestershire and Worcestershire. Which shows the strength of Durham. When you're a club where racism doesn't exist, then it really helps you um, boost up into the second tier. I, I tell you now, a lot of Durham members I know hate the fact that Ian Botham is their chair for this reason. Right. Not for this only for this reason, but for the reason that he gets linked to to what they do. He's the Jeff Kennett of their Hawthorne Football Club. Yes, they might have to form a, a, a Durham for change movement and see if they can oust both them at some stage. Uh, Worcestershire beat Leicestershire. Oakham, which is a Lex Leicestershire outground by 100 runs. Peter Haskam still there, by the way, because Ajinka Rahane was scheduled to replace him, but he's doing other stuff. He's been called up. He's doing other stuff now, Ajinka Rahane, back as the Indian vice-captain. He did miss out here, though, Pete. Um, it was a low-scoring scrap. Leicestershire was set 237 in the fourth innings, but only made 137. Josh Tung took five for 29 uh, for Worcestershire. He might be playing for England next week. We'll see. He's also announced that he's leaving the club at the end of the season. Where's he going? Well, I heard Australian he, lighting. I, I heard that he originally the talk was Lanks, and I hear now very much not Lanks. Not Lanks. I hear very much no. I'm not going to Lanks. He's so. not going to wear the giraffe suit. So it's it's an open. Yeah, I, I, I okay. grabbed the giraffe the other day. Went on telly, and it looks like I was trying to like I was trying to assault it with my face when I grabbed it. It was a screenshot put on Twitter. I was doing BBC breakfast and they threw the they thrust the um the giraffe head at you. And uh, there was and they, no one in it no, at the time. No, it was just a small miniature version. Okay. I should have pitched oh. it for Winnie in hindsight. Anyway, not to be. Oh um, so it wasn't the full size no, one. No, that would have been different. Had okay. I assaulted someone under a suit, I quite rightly would have been locked up. It would have been it's very Adam Sandler, isn't it? Isn't yeah. there a movie where he's Fight punching on with the uh, isn't it as Happy Gilmore? He's punching Gilmore, on with the yeah. mascot. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds right. Um, There's also Ben Mendelssohn in Idiot Box fighting the Wilderness Society koala. Uh, that's that's a very Australian one. That's that's much more niche. I'm sure um, Wilfred got in a stash at some point as well. Wilfred got in plenty of stashes, but yeah, yeah, but yeah young Ben Mendelssohn when he was edgy and and a little bit dangerous. Um, yeah, it's one of the, one of the very underrated films, Idiot Box. Okay, taken He's on, on, the, on the front. On the artwork on the poster, he's wearing a T-shirt with the stenciled phrase on it, get a dog up here, oh. um, and that kind of Do you know where that came from? There. No. Uh, get a dog up here, it was to do with a type of beer. Yeah. So get a dog up here was, I'll oh, get one of these into you, get a, okay. this beer into you. And get it's a been, can into you. And now it's been, I mean, I guess just get a dog up here. How would you, if you were to describe to a, a non-Australian what that means, what would you go with? Um, I, I would, it, it basically means piss off, Yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Like... Go and do something unpleasant. Get a dog up you. Get a dog up you. It's a more visceral piss off. Yeah. It's more yeah. It's more explicit in its suggestion. Well, uh, Derbyshire and Durham um, played each other and neither of them got dogs, dogs up them um, mm. because it was a high-scoring draw. Derbyshire made 443. Brooke guessed another century, 197, two in two weeks, I'm pretty sure, for the Derbyshire wicketkeeper. Then Durham makes five. Some might say this guest has outstayed his welcome. <laughs> then Durham make a massive 575 in just 118 overs, basballing their way there. Mm. Alex Lees. 195, speaking of baseball, an original baseballer, 195 last week, 171 from 210 this week. A good message to be sending, good pressure to be mm. building on the existing openers. David A little, little bit of pressure on Benny Duckett. Might be. It might, yeah, there might be, you know. 
I hadn't really thought about this, but there might be. If Lees keeps making runs, not outside the realms of possibility. David Bettingham, who came over from South Africa a few years ago, made 138. And Derbyshire, I should note on the way through, it's been announced today, they're losing their captain, Lewis Deploy. Yeah. Another South African. He's going to Middlesex on a long-term deal. I watched him play against Australia in that yep. tour match Good a play. few years ago and played well. Um, and I've kept a bit of an eye on him over the years since. He's done a few good things over the journey. He's a good player. He did well in the um, in the 100. Uh, I'm led to believe I've never watched a ball in the 100, but I'm, I'm reliably informed Lewis Deploy had a good 100 for someone at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, he was deployed well. He was deployed well. Uh, Sussex are in that log jam for second I mentioned before. They, they needed to beat Yorkshire really, but they ended up uh, in a rainy draw. Adam it's, a, it's a terrible kind of jam too, log jam. Sort of splintery, it's yeah, not tasty. Yucky. Adam Lyth made a ton for Yorkshire in that rainy draw. And another one of those, the Jeff Lemon Cup, where Gloucestershire were playing Glamorgan at the Cheltenham Festival. How can one cricket team play itself? I'm playing at the Cheltenham Festival two days after the test match is over. Apparently, Enid Bakewell will probably be there. Apparently in a game where like 5,000 tickets have been sold. I hope they haven't. Um, this is against the Gloucestershire Legends, the Freaks, I'm hoping they're called. I wonder whether I'm going to be playing against Harvey. Is there a possibility I'm going to be taking a shot against you? Can't, you can't rule it out. <laughs> I mean... He's still he, over there working with Gloss. Yeah. He, um, so I'm playing under Andy Caddick, who I explained recently. I told to get fucked when playing against him last year. You're on the same team, I man. am. He's my captain. Tell him to get fucked again. I think Monty, Find a way. Monty Panasar's playing with me, who I called a ball tamperer on a television interview with him a few weeks ago. Okay. Um, so this could be an eventful day for me. <laughs> Um, this could be an eventful day. I hope Andy Caddick misfields off your bowling and you tell oh, him to get fucked a second time. It. I think Sam Mendes is playing as well. You want to go the film to... director? I yeah, believe so. Well, if you want to go to war, find the guy who directed <laughs> 1917. So that's all happening later in the Cheltenham Festival. Going over the top with before, Sam Mendes. Before we, go, uh, before we um, go off and have a little holiday. In that game, Glamorgan made 450 for six. Billy Root made 98. I always think about Billy Root and you know mm-hmm. how he must sort of think about his... Place in the world, being yeah. Joe's younger brother. And now he had to choose his name that way, otherwise he'd be called Will Root. It <laughs> just sounds like a statement of intent. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> Has pipe Will Root. <laughs> Will Root for change. <laughs> yeah. We're all rooting for change, buddy. We all want change. Will Root. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, okay, and the captain... <laughs> Have guitar, Will Root. Uh, um, David Lloyd, the other one, not the one we're working with on SEN no. at the moment, mate. 81 and 36, not out, the captain of Glamorgan. Gloucestershire, 402 for six. Chris Dent, who wasn't far away from the national conversation a couple of years ago, made 113. So that puts Durham on 167, Sussex 113, Leicestershire 111, uh, Worcestershire 111, Glamorgan 102. Then it drops away to those who can't finish in the top two. Jeff, I promised a couple of weeks ago... Uh, that we would do a big Rachel Hayhoe Flint mm-hmm. recap. That's not going to happen this week because there's a couple more games to go before they have their 100 break. Mm-hmm. Same in the championship, by the way. We've got one more round there before they take their – that might be a good time to revisit the Rachel Hayhoe um, where the Blaze, the Sparks, the Stars, the Diamonds and the Vipers are all broadly in contention. The Vipers, as um, Daniel Norcross would say. Yes. Very good. Uh, that was an entertaining county wrap. Uh, briefly on a bit of Sri Lanka-Pakistan Please. as well. Uh, Pakistan turned them over in the first test. When we looked at it last week, we had Dananjaya on his oh, yeah. way to 100. He got that 100. He's made 12 test tons now, so it's pretty impressive for – I watched him debut in 2016, didn't I, at uh, Candy. You did. Palakali. You did. When he, when he came through and batted really well. And bowled did he make well 100 and take a fiver in that test possibly? He didn't feel like make he... 100, but he made like a, 80, an and a 80 or something and yeah, took a yeah. bunch of wickets and Kusal Mendes made 100. Oh, that's right. Crazy 100 to, to turn the game around. 
Turn around. Um, now, Sri Lanka made 312. Uh, Pravath had started taking wickets when we checked in last week. But after that, he took three and then Pakistan sort of gummed up the works thanks to Saud Shakil for the most part, who made 208. Aga Salman made 83. Good. So very Pakistan energy, a couple of experienced domestic players yeah. who are very inexperienced international players in their late 20s. They love a bit of that. Um, I felt for Solskjaer Sol not getting much of a shot last mm. year. Like I felt like, you know, based on his domestic numbers, which were outrageous, he, he should yep. get the chance and so it is now. Well, we were following along in the car driving up to Old Trafford when on the, the, the live text commentary because he was in the 190s yes. and they were nine wickets down. So you and me and, and Daniel Norcross and Jared Kimball were all glued to the, <laughs> to the updates to see if he would get the double tonne. What I love about this, if we had a Hall of Fame for this game, he does make the double hundred batting with Abra Ahmed who we've seen oh, likes yeah. a swing of the bat, yeah. who blocked it out until Sal Shaquille gets the 100, then immediately hits a four, a six, and gets out <laughs> for 10. My kind of player. Okay. Um, Safra Ahmed still playing for Mohamed Rizwan in place of having replaced him, which still seems a bit odd. I know Safra has made runs pretty consistently since coming back in, but it just seems like Rizwan's a different calibre of, of quality of player, even if he did have a bad run that led to him getting dropped. Also good to see that uh, Noman Ali has had a name update, a spelling update That's on gonna help. Crick Info. That's going to help. Because he's, he's N-A-U-M-A-N, and so we were going with the kind of Nauman last year when we were in Pakistan. He's changed it now to N-O-M-A-N, so he's literally no man. You are living in no man's land. Norman. Mm. Um, so it works It works that way It reminded me of Because we've been talking about Greek and Roman mythology On the show recently mm. It's it's like um, it's, it's like the Cyclops When when Odysseus Goes into the cave of the Cyclops And, and the Cyclops captures his crew and, and rolls the stone in front of the cave And asks Odysseus what his name is Odysseus says his name is Nobody and so then when they when he hatches the plan to jam a spear into the Cyclops' eye and blind it, and the Cyclops screams with rage and the other Cyclopses rock up and say, who is in there with you? And he says, nobody. nobody. <laughs> uh, good trick. That's how you get away with stuff. So no man is no man. Uh, Pakistan made 461. Dhananjaya backed it up again, made 82 in the third innings. Madushka made 52 openings. So they set Pakistan 131. And Pakistan wobbled pretty badly in the chase Prabhat Jayasuriya loves doing it, um, picked up Abdullah Shafiq, then Shan Masood, then they send out Noman Ali as a night watchman who gets out. Barbara Azam has to bat, survives, gets out the next morning. They're still 50 short. Saud Shaquille gets them most of the way there, gets out near the end, and then Safraz Ahmed is out for one. So a bunch of wickets fell along the way. Aga Salman got them there in the end along with Imam Ulhaq, who made 50 not out opening the batting. So... Pakistan won that one and they're in very good shape in the second test, which has also started where they bowled out Sri Lanka for 166 and they're close to passing that two wickets. Well, down. I would like to see that because Pakistan starting the World Test Championship cycle well could, you know, just the way it works, right? With mm -hmm. two test match series, you've got to start well. You've, you've got to get out of the mm -hmm. blocks to give yourself a chance. And they do play three test matches in Australia, which they will lose 3-0 in all probability. So they need to bank up points now before yep. they... Before they get, I mean, I, I hope they don't. I'd love to see them do well in Australia, but yeah, I'd love don't. to see a Shahin Shah Freedy World Test Championship final. It, it would make me very happy to see Middlesex's Pakistan. own. Yeah, well, if, if it's um, yeah Middlesex's own briefly, if it is um, it's due at Lords, if, if it is to be at Lords, that would be that would be something. That's where it's scheduled now, but it was the last two also were, and they both got changed. Yeah, there was a commercial issue with the Lords press box this mm. time, which they couldn't take the branding off. But right. I think they've found a way through for next time because the. The sponsorship arrangements change mm. between now and then, something like that. Yeah, they've got the big JP Morgan written on it. But yeah. if they just put 
Owen Morgan in front of the JP, <laughs> then it'll be fine. Uh, Jeff, we have one more segment to get to. It's the conversation I set up before with Alice Davison Richards, England all-rounder, talking about, among other things, dementia. Hi, I'm Natalie Jemanis, and you're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Final Word Cricket Podcast, Adam Collins with England all-rounder Alice Davison Richards. Alice, great to have you with us on the show. We're specifically here to talk about an initiative that's been arrived at between Alzheimer's Society and uh, the ECB ahead of the, the final Ashes Test match this week. They're in partnership as their charitable partner uh, this week. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Excited to join. Uh, great, great to have you here. I see some um, home renovations going on behind you there, um, painting the walls and uh, in the middle of a cricketing <laughs> summer, as busy as you are. How's that possible? <laughs> well, we've got a couple of days off before we uh, meet up for the hundreds, so I thought I'd take advantage of it. I currently got a living room that's got three colours in, so I've decided to <laughs> add a few more colours to all and see what happens. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, so let, yeah, let's just start with the work you're doing this week at, at the Oval with the Alzheimer's Society. I mean, I guess it's principally about raising awareness and, and raising money for a cause that is well, well close to you personally, also close to, to me personally. But if you can just explain off the top the importance of the work that's been done by that organisation. Yeah, I think it's an incredibly important week to be able to, you know, put put themselves out there and also raise really vital funds. I mean, I think I've seen the last week that there's been a breakthrough with um, drugs that if you take it a bit earlier, it helps offset um, the signs of Alzheimer's pretty early on, which is pretty wicked. But yeah, so the Alzheimer's Society provides that support and hope for people that are going through a pretty rough time. I mean, I know when my dad was diagnosed, I was straight onto the website and you trust them because obviously it's their, it's their job to be able to provide you with all the information. So yeah, I've got all the information and, you know, tapped into the resources that you could. So yeah, it provides a lot of help and, hmm. you know, hope for people going through a pretty rough time slash at the beginning, you don't quite know what's going on. So hmm. yeah, it's helped. It's nice to be able to like lean on to somebody to try and guide you through it for sure. Yeah, so the, the, the stat is that one in three people in the UK who are born today will end up with dementia. I think that it's a different sliding scale compared to previous years. So yeah. at the moment, there are 900,000 um, Britons living with some form of dementia, many of whom have Alzheimer's disease. I think that well, my impression, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, is that it doesn't discriminate, that it's the kind of thing that can hit any of us. So, you know, early detection and what you're describing there around the opportunities that, that, that are there through modern medicine, if it's caught early enough, and that, that's why it's so important that the awareness levels are high. Yeah, it's so important awareness, level, uh, awareness levels are high. I mean, yeah, when you're talking about it doesn't discriminate, it's also a disease that's quite notoriously tricky to treat, and obviously there isn't a cure yet, so... Once you're diagnosed, um, yeah, it's about being able to care for the person and prolong their life in a meaningful, positive way for sure. So, yeah, I think this is why days like what will be next week and the test um, are so important to raise funds and, you know, help people out and um, fund that research that will help people in the future. Because there is an early warning system, isn't there? I mean, Alzheimer's starts slowly, then gets rapid progressively i mean tragically uh, how quickly it, it, it can it can take hold but um mm -hmm. where, where, where a lot of uh, again my my um, recollections but also understanding of the disease is that um, it can be misunderstood at the start in that people don't necessarily think that someone has alzheimer's they just think they're getting older or they're forgetful or they're they're suffering from a lot of stress and wear and tear in their broader life but actually what's going on is something far more sinister and serious 
yeah, I mean, I am so guilty of that. I'll put my hand up straight away to that one. Um, my mum would be like, there was something going on with my dad. There's something going on with your dad. And I was like, no, he's just getting old. Like, mm. it's absolutely fine. Yeah, she's a bit forgetful. I think she knows just like a slight personality change. Um, but with me, he, he was generally all right. Managed to put on like a show and ever like other people around. I think the first time that I was like, oh, this is actually quite serious was me and him share a love of tea. So we probably, I reckon, have like five or six cups of te- tea. So mm-hmm. like our routine's going in. Do you want a brew? Yeah, okay, I'll have a brew. Um, and me and him were making a tea together and he just forgot where the tea bags were. Yeah. Um, which for me, I was like, oh, right, yeah, no, okay. This this is actually a thing. So, yeah, it takes something like that for you to actually wake up to it. But I think even if you're questioning it then there's probably maybe something going on because if it, they're old and you're not necessarily questioning it then you probably haven't got it which is probably a good thing for you guys sure and and even if they're not that old i mean the tragedy of my grandmother's demise was she was 50 when she first was diagnosed with alzheimer's just when i was born actually and um you know it does it, it isn't just an old person's disease necessarily so being aware and alert to to this i think so you know, this is an important week for, for the organisation. The, the, what they're hedging it on, or what they're sorry, pink, uh, hinging it through, is um, is Ash's memories. That like we all love cricket, right? We all have these uh, the deeply ingrained memories of cricket all the way through our lives. Yeah. It's often kind of like a, uh, a like a comfortable pair of jeans that you slip on when you're watching the cricket on the telly, or, or you're there at the game. Yeah. Living life, not having memories of of of, uh, of stuff that you've watched when you're younger, and having that all fade away. The, the tragedy of Alzheimer's and dementia, more generally, and and that's what this week's all about. about using cricket as a filter to tell people that you don't want to lose these memories one day if you can avoid it and obviously if you can get in early there are some things that can be done yeah no definitely I think cricket I mean sports in general but cricket definitely has the ability to have those moments that you can really hold on to I mean my dad who doesn't obviously doesn't remember too much of like the present or general cricketing stuff but yeah grew up living next to the Neville cricket ground where Kent used to play some of the like out matches, which was brilliant when I was growing up. Um, oh, right. I remember one year having Shane Warne there. Yeah. And my dad will, so like we do this bit where we like walk up to nets and back just to try and keep him going. And nine times out of 10, he'd be like, oh, what, isn't Shane Warne, isn't Shane Warne brilliant? And like, do you remember when he came here? So yeah, I think cricket has, really has like those moments to be able to like bring you back. And um, yeah, sometimes they stick and sometimes they don't, but think sports has a knack of getting them to stick sometimes. So the Alzheimer's Society will be raising money. Specifically, I believe it's on day three of the test match. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure we, we socialise all of the, the links on our pages, final word channels and, and so on as we get closer to that. And then I think there's like a big sort of activation at the ground, which the organisation will, will explain closer to the time. But um, that's that piece of it. it also, this what we got you, Alice, wanted to zoom out. And you've had a really interesting career yourself. I mean, having the opportunity to make 100 on Test Taboo last year, one of a very small, very select club of cricketers who've <laughs> achieved that and the elation of that against South Africa down in Taunton and then not to play um, this year against Australia I mean I think we all just thought you'd be one of the first names on the team sheet doesn't quite play out that way it might be well can you describe how it feels having been very much ensconced within the inner sanctum last summer and not having been part of a a women's ashes which proved to be an exhilarating series yeah it's a bit of a weird one for me obviously I'm absolutely goddess for the girls as to how they fought and to see them play so brilliantly throughout the whole summer on the other side of it you always have two sides of sportsmen I was really quite gutted to not play in the test match 
which is obviously only natural. I wish them like, only the best. And again, one of my favourite moments in the summer was sat in the stands with a couple of mates and one of them got their phone out to watch. She was doing this like one second a day film thing and she was watching Fire the Bowl. And I was like, imagine if you get Fire getting Perry out. And then she managed to get Fire <laughs> getting Perry out on 99. So yeah, it was, that was pretty epic to watch. And it's so good to see so many people go and then just enjoy it so much. And yeah, of course, if you want to be a part of that. And I guess it's kind of weird to say, I'm used to just being like, in out and around and just doing whatever so you kind of learn to just put one foot in front of the other and change your focus a little bit and yeah rather than thinking outward all the time as to powers that be like at England and all that sort of stuff I've seen had the job to do with England A and um, South East Stars which then very much became top of my top of my list. I guess the good thing is with the generation that you've come through. I remember when interviewing you the first time when you were a Kia Super League, you know, junior player, yeah. you know, what, how many years ago, seven or eight years ago now. But because there, there's been this pathway in place, you can go up the ladder and down the ladder. And what I mean by that is just because you're out of the England test team now doesn't mean you're dispensed with forever. There is a, a structure there for you to go down to domestic cricket, do well and, and get back in the England shirt again pretty soon. Yeah, I think that's the best thing about it. If this happened a few years ago, then it would have been, well, what am I doing now? Whereas I've got things that I can work on and do better and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's up to them to make decisions, um, <laughs> pick the team and all that sort of stuff. But it's also up to me to, you know, put myself up there and play well. And, you know, I think it's brilliant that, yeah, we had the England A stuff um, versus Australia A. That was, mm. that was really good fun. And then obviously having the Southeast Stars to focus on, which is, yeah, always pretty much my number one focus most year. And then you go to the 100 where you get the chance to, to play on telly. It's, I mean, I guess it's a similar crowd to what you would get at a Women's Ashes match when you consider there's the double headers with the men and they do really well um, on test venues around the country, up and down the country. That must be really exciting across the month of August for you. Yeah, I know there's a bit of a hoo-ha about the hundreds, but from a personal point, playing point of view, it's a really fun month for everyone. It's just being able to go out there, have fun, show what you can do. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think the most important thing is, um, yeah, being able to try and put yourselves into positions where there's a lot of pressure because there's a lot of people watching. Um, yeah, just being able to enjoy those moments. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be a fun month up north with the Northern Superchargers, like going back up to Leeds. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, excited about it, very excited. Are you still balancing off your day job with cricket? I know you were kind of doing two things side by side for for a long time. Have you managed, managed to keep that going or have you now gone full-time cricket? No, I've now gone full-time cricket. It just came a bit like, unsustainable. I was, yeah, I was doing the PTing stuff and then um, <laughs> cricket's brilliant, but having a steady routine with cricket is definitely, which I'm sure like you find following cricket around, having a steady routine isn't something that um yeah cricket allows so being able to have clients all the time well it just wasn't fair so yeah i've dropped that for a little bit might pick it up later on but yeah no for now just cricket alice i know you've got lots to do this being a monday morning when we're recording thanks for taking out a bit of time to talk to us about alzheimer's society and the work they're going to be doing at the oval this week and hopefully we'll catch you at the test match as well yeah wicked thank you Final word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lennon. Thanks to Alice for doing that and 
telling her story and doing it so well. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how this works with the Alzheimer's Society at the ground this week. They've got some big activations planned and all the rest of it. So it should be um, it should be an important week for the organisation uh, as far as raising awareness with early detection and the recent breakthroughs that have been made from a medical perspective. It's a, it's a good time for this kind of awareness campaign. And you know, as Alice and I discussed, I, this was a big, big part of my childhood with my grandmother having early onset mm. Alzheimer's and dying when I was a little boy. So it's not just about people who are in old age who can end up with this horrific disease. So, um, yeah, if, if some people can learn more about this and, and can pick up some of the cues earlier uh, and cricket can play a role in that, well, all the better. Yeah, it's such a debilitating illness and, and it's the it's the loss of sense of self that's so devastating both for the sufferer and for all of their loved ones. You know, I think we've all... Uh, in, most of us who've lived long enough have seen relatives yep. go through this, and in one form or another, um, and, and it it never it never gets less awful. It, you know, as much as you you can try to tell yourself that that's the the way that things go. Sometimes the the body breaks down over time, but it, it's just a, a devastating thing to to lose somebody in part before you've lost them. Um, so anything that, that can be done to, to help try to develop treatment for that is is one of the most important things that we can do. Yeah, so there's the donation um, link that'll be, but we'll drop into the show notes. In fact, we, we won't do that. We'll do that when we get to the Daily Show on day three, um, which is when the, the fundraising campaign begins and we'll have all the different bits and pieces associated with that accessible through our show notes as we work through the next week or so um, for the Alzheimer's Society and their work at the Oval at the last men's test match, which is starting on Thursday. We won't be far away. We've got the live show on Wednesday. Um, we've got a preview show to record on Wednesday. We've got other interviews between times. We're busy boys. Yeah, there is no shortage of things going on in Final Wordland, but if you have been living in Final Wordland, you already know that. If you just got here and you want to get more involved with our community, patron.com slash the final word is the way to do that. And to help us keep doing what we're doing as we're trying to plan our world cup even as we're finishing the ashes and, yeah. and the next thing and the next thing and the Ugh, next thing so lots. it'd be it'd be great to have you part of that if you're not already and if you are god bless you we love you we always will this has been the final word with adam collins and jeff lemon we'll do it again very very soon i had to go about